following is a presentation of the Church of the Living God in Traverse City, Michigan. Here's our section from Hebrews this morning. We're actually going to cover more than just a phrase of one verse. This is from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, and then I'm skipping ahead to 17 through 19 because all of these verses address the same thing. Listen to your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. Notice the fruits of their lives and mirror their faith. That's verse 7, now jumping up to 17. Listen to your leaders and submit to their authority over the community, for they are on constant watch to protect your souls, and someday they must give account. Give them reason to be joyful and not to regret their duty, for that will be of no good to you. Pray for us. For we have no doubt, so the pray for us, the writer of Hebrews is apparently a leader in the early church, so he's saying pray for us as leaders, for we have no doubt that our consciences are clean and that we seek to live honestly in all things. So I get to talk this morning about what will make the leaders of your church joyful. Uh, but I want to back up a little bit first. I went back and looked at our notes, and when we went through 1 Timothy and 1 Peter, there was some sections there about what to expect from your church leadership. That is, if there is someone who's going to be an authority in the church, the bar is raised. And I've got some extra notes back on that table, I believe, if you'd like to pick up notes from previous sermons. Because one of the things that you get to do as a congregation is hold us in leadership accountable for who God has called us to be and what God has called us to do. So I want to make sure that as I walk into this morning about what leaders in the church hope to see in their congregation, I want to make sure we're clear that you have a biblical expectation about what leaders in your church look like. So as much as I feel a little gleeful this morning about getting to tell you how to make us a leadership joyful, I have to tell you it intimidates me a little bit. Uh, part of this is, you see in this passage, that leaders in the church are called to have constant watch, that one day leaders will give an account, that our consciousness should be clean, we're to seek to live honestly in all things, um, that there's a weight that comes with this. And quite frankly, when I eased into church ministry from being a high school teacher, no one really walked me through a lot of what to expect in terms of church life. And I sometimes wonder in hindsight, if I would know today what I knew then, just in terms of feeling this sense of weight and accountability to God, I, in some ways, the longer I'm a pastor, the more daunting that is to me. Um, I, perhaps those of you who have walked with God for most of your life, maybe this resonates with you, that the longer you're a Christian, the more you feel the depth of this book and of the God that we worship and follow and serve. And to get up here on Sundays and present to you from God's word that intimidates me. Uh, and just to be someone who for whatever reasons God has led into a position of authority, um, that feels more serious to me the longer I do this. I'm grateful that I serve in a plurality of leadership here in the church. So as I talk about kind of what leaders expect and, and the weight of leadership. Recognize, I don't think I'm speaking just for me. I'm speaking for others here in the church as well who are part of this. So I, I sent out a message this last week to about 10 people I knew who were either pastors or in leadership or different church ministries. And I said, hey, if you were teaching this passage, what would you say to your congregation? So part of what's going to show up in my list here this morning is going to reflect 
what some other people in ministry have told me, but I don't have anything in my list that doesn't reflect also what I feel about this. Now, my initial list was much longer and included things like uh, Johnny Lang tickets, Applebee's gift certificates. Those are the kind of things that do indeed make me joyful. But when I tried to get a little more spiritual with it, uh, I had it down to 10, and then I got chipping away because I'm like, this is just too many. So I'm down to six at this point. And as I was looking at them again this morning, in some ways they feel a little vague. So I'm going to try to make them as specific as I can. And what I would like us to do afterwards, because the one class we have after the service is Message Plus, if you attend that, I would love to hear from you what makes you joyful within church community. So my reflection is, as someone who is in leadership, this brings joy to me. But I want to give space for all of you later to say, as I'm part of this community, this is what brings joy to me uh, when I see this happening in the midst of the congregation. All right, enough intro. Let's jump into it. Number one, just become a disciple of Jesus. And I'm including hashtags because that's clever and trendy. Salvation and discipleship. All this means, this is what Eugene Peterson called a long obedience in the same direction. So we come here to this church and we gather because we are unified by Jesus Christ. This is the foundation, this is the core of our church, the person and the work of Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection. If none of that happens, this isn't church, this is just a club. So Jesus is his starting foundation. And my number one, uh, the number one thing that would make me joyful as a leader to this group of people in the room is number one, if you surrender your life to Jesus. And that's more than just the sinner's prayer, though that's a great start. This is a long obedience in the same direction. That is, you see Jesus for who he is in Scripture. You say, yes, I surrender my life. I give my heart, soul, mind, and strength, my priorities, my loves. I give all of these things to Jesus. He now gets to be the Lord and the King of my life. My life is no longer mine. I now live in service to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So that's the first part. That's the salvation, the discipleship, or even the process of what the Bible calls sanctification is now, every day, one foot in front of the other. I'm committing myself, and we'll get into this a bit more, diving into the word of God to understand his revelation to us. Through prayer, through engaged community here in the church, there's all kinds of things of what we call worship. It's just giving all of our life back to Jesus, and we stay focused. We head in the same direction that is toward Christ, toward that transformation. If you take away nothing else this morning, know this. It brings me great joy when someone who was attending our church who was not a Christian gives their life to Christ. All of heaven rejoices. But then, the other part of that, Jesus' great commission was go and make disciples of all nations. Yeah, you lead them to follow Jesus and you baptize, but the discipleship thing is a lifelong thing. So the other thing that brings me joy, and I've been in this church now almost 20 years. I love watching how God is faithful in the lives of people who attend here and watching broken people find healing. 
Watching stubborn people find repentance and then forgiveness. Watching angry people calm down as they find the peace of Christ. There's all kinds of stories. It's one of the things I love about small groups as we give our testimonies to each other. We hear stories of discipleship. We hear what it looks like when there's a long obedience in the same direction. It turns out God's faithful. And when he begins a good work in you, he, he will continue this good work in you. And that, too, brings me great joy. That's one reason I love testimonies. That's why we talk a lot in this church about being honest with each other. We need to know what God is doing in each other's lives. We often need that encouragement because you don't know where the person next to you is in their life at that moment. They might need to hear about what Jesus has done for you. And just to see that faithfulness and that maturity and that growth. So point of joy number one, becoming a disciple of Jesus and then following him for the rest of your life. So I'm just going to say this right up front. If you're here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus, you've never surrendered your life to him or you recognize, you know, I, I said years ago I was surrendering my life to Jesus, but frankly, I have not been continuing in that same direction. Will you please, please, come pray with someone. We'll be up front at the end of the service. You can pray with us here. You can ask one of us or somebody else to go with you in the prayer room. You can turn to the person next to you when this message is done and go, I, you need to pray with me. Uh, you can be nervous today and put it off and then call somebody up later this week and go, we need to get together, walk with me into what surrender to Christ and obedience looks like. But please, if you're in this room this morning and you are not in that category of salvation or discipleship, you can change that this morning. That would bring me the most joy of everything else I have to offer on this list. And we as a church will celebrate you as we learn about what Christ is doing in your life. So number two, uh, I'm gonna put these two together. I'm gonna call it pray and eat the word. So there's numerous passages in scripture that use this analogy of eating the word of God. There's something about just consuming it. So I'm going to put praying and consuming the Word of God into this category of things that reorient us. They refocus us. They remind us in some ways what our spiritual true north is. So let's talk a little bit about how that works with both of them. One of them, with prayer. Uh, We could do a series on prayer that's probably as long as our series on Hebrews. I'm just going to note two things. This is going to be a flyover that you can talk about with me later if you would like. Number one, I really encourage you to pray honestly. Read the Psalms. David is a remarkably honest prayer, sometimes uncomfortably so. He just kind of spews on paper what he's feeling inside and lifts it up to God, almost as if God is big enough to handle our honesty. Pray honestly. When you're in a group of people, don't, please don't try to impress us with how you pray. Just pray. When you're alone, don't try to impress God by saying just the right thing or just pray. Just pray honestly. If you're angry, pray your anger to God. If you have doubts, if you're frustrated, if you're sad, whatever, God already knows. You're not hiding anything from him. If you're joyful, If you're thankful, whatever it is, pray honestly. 
Just pray honestly. The second thing is pray accurately. Uh, so, so part of this is just knowing the will of God through Scripture so that as we pray for ourselves, for others, for the world, that we recognize we're praying things in accordance with God's will. But I, I'm going to give you something that I've been kind of uh, not wrestling with recently but experiencing, and I'm finding that it's reorienting how I think. I began to realize I was praying things and asking God for things as if they weren't happening when the reality was that they were already happening. And I realized as I was praying, I, I was kind of petitioning God for something I'd already been given. So I'll give you an example. I, I think I've mentioned before on Sunday mornings, I walk through this room and I, I pray over our service in the morning. And I realized a couple months ago I was praying, oh Lord, send your Holy Spirit here. I, I don't have to pray that, friends. God's Holy Spirit is here. So I started thanking God for his Holy Spirit. And I'd say, Lord, I pray that your word is powerful. But his word is powerful. Thank you, God, that your word is powerful. And, and I began to realize I was part of my habits of prayer. And my heart was good. Right? Hear me on this. My heart was good. God knew what I meant. He wasn't up there like, Anthony, get the words right. It was just a reorientation of my own thoughts. Oh, yeah, I can relax. God's Holy Spirit is here and moving and powerful. Um, God's Word is powerful. Those things are realities to my life as a Christian. And when we gather together here as a congregation, those things are happening. Awesome. Lord, um, help us to surrender more fully to the reality of your presence and your work and all these types of things. I'm still, I'm still working on what it looks like to pray in a way that aligns with what God is actually doing in the world. Um, yeah, okay, I could say a lot about that. I've just for myself have found there's a realigning of not just my thoughts but of my heart. I've discovered I'm more at peace as I remind myself simply through my prayers, oh yeah, your spirit is already here. Thank you for that. Awesome. So pray honestly, pray accurately. Uh, we could talk about that more in Message Plus. I'd love to hear examples from your life about how praying accurately has changed how you view God and even the world. And then I'll say this about just eating the word. Read carefully. So we have our Bibles, right? Tons of different translations and versions you can read. Some are better than others, but in general, most of them are seeking very hard to portray God's word accurately. I would encourage you, read several translations. There's websites like Bible Gateway that let you do that. I would encourage you to read historically what Christians have said about passages of Scripture. There's 2,000 years of the Holy Spirit inspiring people's reading of Scripture and helping them have understanding of what to do with it. I would encourage you to read widely in the church tradition so that don't, we don't sit in kind of a bubble of a particular point of view. Um, there is a beauty to the breadth and depth of Christianity. So I would encourage you, go beyond just the reading of Scripture, though you have to do that as a foundational starting point. Because this is a 2,000-plus-year-old book, we need translators. It's like visiting a different culture. 
So find those translators around you to help you dive into the Word. We try to do that when we preach and teach here at the church. That's why we offer so much on context, and I give footnotes and things like that. But to eat God's Word, I mean, study it on its own, absorb it on its own, but find out what other things God has given to his people, so to speak, to help us better understand what's being written there. So it would bring me great joy as a leader here in this church if we were simply praying people and people who ate the word. Number three, um, adjust your life to your faith. And I'm gonna give two hashtags for this, integrity and priorities. So the first one, integrity is just consistency. Do we walk the talk? So if we're allegiant to this book, this revelation of God, and it gives us directions about what it looks like to walk in the path of life, and we give lip service to this, does our life then reflect it? And primarily, I would ask, does it reflect it in your home? This is is crucial, crucial. I mean, I, I want it to reflect everywhere, But if we claim to be followers of Christ, parents, do your kids believe you? Hmm? Do your kids believe you? Do they take you seriously when you say you take this book seriously? Kids, do your parents take you seriously? And this could be kids in the home or adult kids with adult parents. Do your parents take you seriously? Do your siblings take you seriously? When you say, I am a follower of Jesus and God is in the process of transforming my life, do they take you seriously? I think it has to start in the home. Now listen, I am not talking about perfection. None of you are perfect. I'm not perfect. Part of taking this book seriously is doing the hard work of honest introspection and figuring out when I need to repent when I need to seek forgiveness, when I need to own my own sin, you do that, that's part of the whole package. So once again, it's not putting on a front of some sort. This is about being an honest follower of Jesus. Um, I don't know how many times I've apologized to my sons in the last 22 years. I had plenty of reason to. I was not a perfect dad. My temper overflowed at times. Um, At times, I I just wasn't present like I should have been. Uh, I didn't always set the best standard with my language. And I had to go back to my boys at times, and I'm sure those days are not over, and say, boys, I claim to be a follower of Jesus. I am a follower of Jesus. And unfortunately, your dad did not fail to do that, or sorry, did not succeed in doing that well. I need your forgiveness in this. Need your forgiveness. That, too, is being a follower of Jesus in your own home. Sheila just told me yesterday, she went to one of our boys and apologized for something, and my thought was awesome. That is Christian integrity. Christian integrity modeled in front of my son. Thanks, babe. I love that. So this is one question I have for you. And, And as a pastor, something that would bring me great joy is to know that in your homes, what everyone is experiencing is serious Christianity. Not perfect, not Christianity with a front, none of those things. I just mean people in the house who claim to be followers of Jesus taking it seriously. 
not playing games with it. Right? That, that would bring me joy. By the way, I, this was in my notes before I started, and I forgot to say this. I don't have anybody in mind in particular here in church this morning as I'm talking about these things. This is just my heart, okay? The second thing about adjusting your life to your faith is priorities. And I'm going to call this arm wrestling. So if I could theoretically arm wrestle myself, and I worked out only one arm and not the other, that arm would win the contest. Whichever arm I would flex the most, so to speak, becomes the strong one that begins to win the contest. We do the same thing in our lives. We create patterns in our life. It's like building muscle. And as we set our priorities and our schedules and decide what's going to be the most important thing this day or this week or this month, that thing will become stronger. And eventually, as we feel tension in our life between living in an empire as citizens of the United States and living in a kingdom as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, if we flex empire, empire will eventually just win all the time. If we flex kingdom, kingdom is the one that begins to win. So my, my question to you is, when it comes to priority, which one do you flex the most? How much is your faith a priority? What it, hmm. yeah, I, I speak as someone who wrestles with this as well. What, how do I order my time in a week? When I look at my calendar, what do I fill it up with first? Do I fill it up with Sunday morning God's people get together, that's important. I've got small group or class. I've got this Bible study I attend in the community. I've got this meal or this coffee I need to attend with a fellow Christian because I need accountability or encouragement or because so... Is that the first thing that fills up our calendar? And then the other things adjust around it. Or is the first thing, um, I have this sports schedule. Um, the weather is nice this day. Um, is, mm. What fills up our calendar first? And, and I don't say this because uh, I'm thinking how to phrase this. I deliberately didn't write too many notes this morning because I want to make sure I'm not reading from a script. I want this to come from my heart. The longer I live, the more I realize if the, if the heart and soul of the rhythm of my life does not begin with kingdom priorities, I'm in trouble. Because eventually, kingdom priorities, the, the kingdom will fade. And eventually, it's an add-on to the rest of my life instead of the thing around which I center my life. I, I don't know how to say that anymore, honestly and bluntly. Sheila and I have been talking about this a lot lately, that uh, I think both of us feel like for a lot of years, some important parts of kingdom living were add-ons to our schedule and we fit them in when we could and now we're realizing there's a price to be paid for that. Um, I, I, I want kingdom to fill my calendar first. And then I'll figure out what else can fit in around it. 
that would bring me joy. Number four, uh, let's do community. So a couple ways. I put accountability, generosity, and presence. Another way of thinking of this, accountability, don't hide. Please, friends, don't hide in this church. Somebody needs to know who you are. Not necessarily everybody. You don't have to let everybody into your business. But somebody needs to know who you are. I mean, somebody needs to know what you're wrestling with, what you're struggling with, what your joys are, what makes you happy, what your temptations are, what your history looks like, what your hopes and dreams are. Somebody within this body of Christ needs to know, needs to know. Please don't hide from us. That's the first part, accountability. Second part is generosity. That just means help. We had a whole sermon on this a couple weeks ago. I'm not going to linger here. Just in terms of what we have been given, how can we look around us and find ways to pass that on and help to build the kingdom of God and help the people in the kingdom of God? And then finally, um, presence. I feel like there is no substitute for simply time spent together. That's why, for one, we encourage you to get her early on Sunday mornings and just mingle in the lobby. Um, I actually, this morning, heard introductions between some people who've been here for a while but had not met each other. Awesome. That's what we're trying to do there, is simply give you opportunities for presence, to rub shoulders with people. And then all of Sunday morning, the classes afterwards are hanging out in the lobby, potlucks, um, the picnic in July, which is going to be intense. Cool, we're getting this now. Um, when you have opportunity for small groups, when you can just simply invite people over, there's VBS, there's youth group for kids, there's Awana for younger kids, there's all these types of things. There's no substitute for presence. And in that ongoing act of presence, walls come down. We get comfortable with each other. It's easier not to hide when you know people. And I don't mean you have to spread yourself as thin as butter to get to know everybody in this room. I'm just talking about a rhythm of our life together where we're trying to spend time with people. Spend time with people we already know. Find ways to get to know people we don't. We're trying to build a network here in the church, some way to be connected. That brings me joy when I see conversations pop up, when I walk past people in the lobby and I can tell people are getting to know each other. And sometimes people have been here for a year or two, and it was the first time. That makes me happy because we're starting to build those connections. But it's not, you're not doing it to make me happy. It's going to be for your good. It's going to be for the good of the church. And I'm convinced it's going to be for the good of the kingdom of God. Uh, fifth point, support the work of the church. So the most important of the work of the church is evangelism. Now, how do we do this? There are lots of ways to evangelize, and I'm very hesitant to say it must look like this. Sometimes it happens in a stadium. Hashtag Billy Graham. Sometimes it happens over coffee. Sometimes it's your neighbor. Sometimes it's somebody at work. Sometimes it's your children or your parents. Sometimes it's doing work for someone just to help them practically so you can Get to the point where you share the gospel because it opens a door for you. There's all kinds of ways to evangelize. But the number one mission of the church, go into the world and preach the gospel, which happens with our words, which happens with our, our actions.
Um, second, support the work of the church. Tithe, give. We talked. Was that just last week? We talked about money. I think it was. Yeah, that that makes me happy when we don't have to worry about our budget. And as our budget flourishes, we begin to be able to expand things we haven't been able to expand for a while. Listen, I would love to have us have this abundant mission. A pot of money that when we go places, and, and we're in the process, by the way, we've got some new life into our missions board. I'm very excited about this. Uh, I would love to have a pot of money for scholarships for people who want to go on mission trips and they can't afford it. Do you know where that money will come from? You. It's the only way we do it, right? I love that our deacons are able to help people in the church. That's money that you bring. Um, I love that we're able to pay the bills and keep the lights on and have heat in the winter and stuff like that and have people on staff. That's all from you and from your generosity. And the less we have to be distracted by figuring out what to do, if budget's getting tight, the more we're able to focus on what we can do with the abundance that we have. I'm not saying we can't do both at once. I'm just saying I'd much rather that the people here at church who worry about numbers and money I would love them to be able to take a deep breath and relax and go, what do we do with all this extra? Right? That, that would be a beautiful thing. That would bring me joy. And then finally, volunteering. In the community and in the church. I think if you look at the early church, one of the ways they really made a difference in Rome was they were very present in their community. At that time, it was um, adopting children or our equivalent today. Um, caring for the sick, for everybody's sick, caring for everybody's poor. They developed this reputation of people who abounded in love, not just for those who were in their church fellowship, but for their entire community. So I believe volunteering in places in our community where we can help people in need is a powerful way of letting the community know God's people care about the community. But then also volunteering here in church. Just helping a nursery. We've talked about this before. And actually, I think we're doing pretty well on nursery volunteers right now, which is awesome. Helping with kids, helping with the building, helping with music. And uh, there's all kinds of ways people can be involved. So volunteering makes us happy um, because many hands make light work. And then finally is simply to love deeply. So I'm going to go to two passages of Scripture this morning. So uh, it feels more like a sermon because we use Scripture. Uh, the first is from Mark chapter 12, and I'm going to begin in verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, and noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked Jesus, of all the commandments, which is the most important? So in Jewish history, there was this kind of tradition of rabbis trying to condense all of the Old Testament law into as short as a list of they could. This, I think, is the winner. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, which was the beginning of something called the Shema that the Jewish people had said for centuries. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Note, Jesus gives two, and then he makes it singular. There is no commandment 
greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied, which was nice for Jesus to get affirmation from someone else. Well said, teacher, the man replied, you are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. So what's the most important thing we do when it comes to love? We love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. And deeply intertwined with that is, and you love your neighbor. You love your neighbor. And in fact, here, Jesus quotes the classic version of it, love your neighbor as yourself. If you read in the Gospels, before Jesus died, he actually reframed that and said, love each other as Christ has loved you. It's just another way of, of ending that particular phrase. So lo- when I say love deeply and it would bring me joy, just love God deeply. Heart, soul, mind, strength. There is going to be a component about that, and that is we will love our neighbors if we've really embraced that. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 13 as our final passage this morning. And, and I know this is one of the most popular chapters, but if we're going to talk about loving our neighbors and the importance of love, this is the classic So uh, I'm just going to read it. And this is from a version called The Voice. What if I speak in the most elegant languages of people or in the exotic languages of the heavenly messengers, but I live without love? Well, then anything I say is like the clanging of brass or a crashing cymbal. What if I have the gift of prophecy and I'm blessed with knowledge and insight to all mysteries? What if my faith is strong enough to scoop a mountain from its bedrock? and yet I live without love. If so, I'm nothing. I could give all I have to feed the poor. I could surrender my body to be burned as a martyr, but if I do not live in love, I gain nothing by my selfless acts. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious. It doesn't boast, brag, or strut about. There's no arrogance in love. It's never rude crude, or indecent. It's not self-absorbed. Love isn't easily upset. Love doesn't tally wrongs or celebrate injustice, but truth, yes, truth is love's delight. Love puts up with anything and everything that comes along. It trusts, it hopes, it endures no matter what. Love will never become obsolete, or some of you probably have Bibles that say love never fails. Now, as for the prophetic gifts, they will not last. Unknown languages will become silent, and the gift of knowledge will no longer be needed. We'll know all things. Gifts of knowledge and prophecy are partial at best, at least for now. But when the perfection and the fullness of God's kingdom arrive, all the parts will end. When I was a child, I spoke, thought, and reasoned in childlike ways, as we all do. But when I became a man, I left my childish ways behind. For now, we can only see a dim and blurry picture of things as when we stare into polished metal that was their mirrors at the time. You just polished metal. I realized that everything I know was only part of the big picture. But one day, when Jesus arrives, we will see clearly, face to face, and in that day, I will fully know, just as I have been wholly known by God 
but now faith, hope, and love remain, these three virtues must characterize our lives, and the greatest of these is love. So as I give this list of things that would bring, bring me joy, but I think broadly, I think it's safe to say, would bring church leadership joy, one of the things I think the Bible does as it gives us all of this vision of life together is create this idea, once again, that church is meant to be a glimpse of heaven on earth. This is kingdom now territory. We're not in the perfect world to come, but in this broken world, the church is meant to be an outpost of truth, of love, of goodness, of purity, of hope, of generosity, of truth. I'm going to repeat myself now because I've forgotten what I said already. But if we think about what it looks like to have a community where everyone here is committed to that kind of life together, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. That doesn't just make me joyful, that makes you joyful. And we have this privilege as followers of Jesus to be a part of this. Lord, I am grateful today for the many ways in which you bless us. I'm grateful for your Holy Spirit, for your word, uh, for your church, your body, your presence here on earth. Help us to fully surrender to you, to fully embrace that which you offer to us in Christ. Help us to taste and see that the Lord is good, to experience what life in your kingdom connected with you as a child is really like and what it really offers, not just to us, but to the world. May we be that shining city on a hill that you've called us to be, Lord. We can do this through your strength, with your wisdom, for your glory. Amen. This has been a presentation of the Church of the Living God. For more information, please visit us at clgonline.org.